Hey, it's J.O. I'm the author of Maximizer Medicare. Don't forget the virtual event, October 5th, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You have to pre-register. It's going to be an online virtual event, information only. There won't be any you know, discussion or recommendation about a particular plan. I'd need to know a lot more about you in order to make that suggestion. Go to www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. Be sure to register today. All right, everybody, thank you for joining me. My name is Jay O. I'm the host of the Maximize Your Medicare. I'm also the author of Maximize Your Medicare, the book, which is available on Amazon or any local bookstore. The official website for the book, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. You know, there's a lot of good resources there on the site. It's much more than just an official book website. There are links to, you know, forms and other things that are important for Medicare enrollment. There's, in addition to that, pre-65 enrollment for individual health insurance, as well as videos, podcasts, stuff that you need to know. And not in addition to that, there's a place where you can ask me your personal private questions. I will respond within 24 hours myself. I do so, you know, quite religiously, actually. There is no charge for the questions. If you require private service, I will tell you, I of course always tell you in advance, you'll get my full fiduciary responsibility as governed by the Certified Financial Planning Board, CFP, the board of CFP. Anyway, go there, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. We've got the normal format today, and we'll start by, you know, the update on what's going on in Medicare. And we are now about a few weeks away from the time that you're going to start getting the annual notice of change forms. So ANOC, ANOC, whatever you want to call it, basically all existing Part D or Medicare Advantage policyholders, you're going to start getting letters in the mail and those letters are going to tell you what changes are going to be in store for 2021. There's going to start, uh, you know, in just a couple of days, you know, a week away or so, and you're going to be starting to get them. Now, you know, the, this is a regulatory kind of, you know, thing, meaning that the carriers, they don't really have any choice in sending it to you. And are they valuable? The answer is going to be Yes. The answer is going to be yes, in, in, in the sense that, you know, they have to tell you what the changes are going to be. That way you're not blindsided, okay? So they're going to tell you, okay, well, tier one is going of prescriptions are going to have $0 copay or whatever it's going to be. Here's what's going to be new. You know, there are going to be some pretty big changes this coming year. And the two most notable ones for me are the fact that the you know, senior savings model, SSM, is the technical term. What this really means, however, you know, a practical way is the fact that insulin copay is going to be capped at $35 a month. Now, for those of you on insulin, this is going to be important because the fact is that all the plans are going to be treating the different brands of insulin differently. 
This means that if you're on Medicare Advantage or on a prescription drug plan and you are also on insulin, a change is more likely than in the past. We're not going to get away from that because the point of the matter is that different plans are going to be handling it differently and you can't guess whether or not your 2020 plan is going to be one of those which is going to be handling it better in 2021. There's not going to be a shortcut here to say, okay, well, you're safe or you're fine. There's not just not going to be a shortcut. So what this means is that the difference for people on insulin for changing their Medicare Advantage plan or your standalone prescription plan is going to be enormous. It's going to be enormous because some of these plans are going to extend the $35. And not only if they are one of those plans where you're getting this $35 insulin copay, that also exists through the donut hole, which is big for a type 1 diabetic who's on insulin because of the fact that, you know, if you're a person on insulin and you have other ripple effects about insulin and you have other medications that go along with it and more serious ones as well, then it can be more likely that you get through the donut hole. So this can substantially change your out-of-pocket costs. Can't stress that enough. The second point um, as far as what's going to be new in 2021 deals with ESRD. And this is for dialysis persons who, you know, who require dialysis. Now, I've gone through a pretty long explanation on other podcasts or on the videos. Please go check those out up on YouTube. The fact of the matter is, is that when you're on ESRD, the dialysis is super expensive. And in the past, getting into a Medicare Advantage plan with ESRD has been very, very difficult. Those barriers will disappear entirely in 2021. Entirely. This cannot be overstated because the cost here of dialysis to those persons who you know face this cost is enormous. And now what ends up happening is since ESRD is going to be available to Medicare Advantage and you can you know, enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan without restriction, it's going to be very important and it has widened your selection possibilities tremendously, tremendously. So as a result, again, these are two very, very big changes here to the Medicare system. It is why you have to stay up to date. I can't stress that enough. You know, I mean, people say, okay, well, Jay, I don't need your book. You know, your book is dumb, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all I have to do is go onto the free resources and figure it out. The reality is this, and I've not really stated it this bluntly. Yeah, you know, enrolling in Medicare is fine. You could do it yourself in theory. But the number of people this that conclusion applies to is if you're single or if your spouse is born exactly the same birth month and, for example, you have 
no other access to retiree benefit plan, which also mean you also have to have a limited income, meaning that you can't make over $87,000 a year. The bottom line is you can hear by the, you know, this, the fact that I'm just rambling on and just being able to roll out all of these different exceptions is the fact is that the number of people who can just simply, you know, go to Medicare.gov and sign up and then, you know, pick a Medicare Advantage plan or a prescription drug plan and Medigap, you know, the number of people who can do that efficiently is nowhere near the 10,000 people a day. This not anywhere close to the majority because one of those, those exceptions will change what is optimal for you. And for that, the book goes out to detail, hey, there are a bunch of other moving parts here. And there are so many of these moving parts that you can't just blindly enroll in any old thing and keep your best options for yourself and your household. So we're in, a, in officially in election season, right? Uh, you know, we're sitting here the days after the Democratic um, Party's nomination, you know, the convention. All of that stuff is now over. We already know the incumbent. That's not going to be the issue. What I'm going to talk about today here is a particular article and how it relates to current events. So you can see every Thursday what happens at 8.30 in the morning. Financial markets are all glued to a particular statistic, and that is initial jobless claims. And you can see the fact that you know since COVID-19 has begun, the United States, you know, we have basically recorded a million new jobless claims a week, a week. Okay, and have some people returned back to work? I don't think there's any doubt. But the fact of the matter is one million people a week are losing their jobs every single week. And this, you know, candidly, I don't have a good way out here other than, you know, an instant vaccine that works and that everybody takes. So outside of that, and we won't get into the politics of that, et cetera, et cetera, and, you know, fake news, et cetera, et cetera, I'm not going to, you know, get into that with you. However, the fact of the matter is that a lot of people are being unemployed, and those people can have families and have lost their health insurance. Now, I need to make something very, very clear about what your rights and options here are under the Affordable Care Act, because I can tell you that even people that I would consider to be experts are glossing over the full degree, the full extent of your consumer rights under the Affordable Care Act. So today's August 21st, okay? You know, this podcast is going to drop on the 21st. Anyway, let's say you lost your job today. What would end up happening? Let's just use an example. Can you enroll in health insurance for September 1? The answer to that is yes. You can go to your state exchange. This is a life-qualifying event, right? You've lost your ins health insurance. That health insurance has to be have been QHP or a qualifying health plan, meaning that it had to be compliant with the Affordable Care Act. If you have lost your employment and your health insurance, the if and you go and you go on the exchange, and you go on the exchange, 
Can you enroll and be effective on September 1st? The answer to that is yes. The answer to that is yes. Now, here's the thing is that what ends up happening is people have been saying, oh no, this is a disaster. It's the 21st and you know I needed to have enrolled by the 15th. That is not the case. That is absolutely not the case. In fact, here's the very important hidden secret, which is the fact is, is you can enroll on September 3rd, September 4th, up to September 15th, and roll it back so it's retroactively effective on September 1st. This is entirely possible. Now, do you have to handle it subtly? Yes. Do you have to handle it with expertise? Yes. Is this a right? Absolutely. The answer to that is yes. It's also hidden and not well told that you can use off marketplace plans to do so. This is a very important part because the fact of the matter is that if you don't qualify, if you don't qualify for the APTC, which is the subsidy for health insurance premium, that a cheaper, wider set of plans probably exists off marketplace. Okay? People wrongly believe that the only plans in existence exist on their state exchange or on healthcare.gov. This is not the case. It's 9.30, by the way. Okay, it's it, this is absolutely not the case. A wider set of plans does exist off the marketplace. It's very important for people to understand that. And in fact, here's me pulling the curtain on the advice that I give to my clients, which is that if you don't get the, the APTC, which is the tax credit, then I'm intentionally guiding people off the marketplace because those plans can be less expensive or there could be a particularly interesting plan that fits a need better than that exists on the marketplace. It's crazy, right? You know, I've been rambling on for five minutes, etc. We're not even to the guts here of where I'm trying to go. A few moments ago, a few minutes ago, I was describing what you can do when you lose your employment. And this is actually true for persons who you know, don't have health and any person who doesn't have health insurance. It just happens to address those who have, you know, recently lost health insurance. That said, you know, what I'm about to say applies to per persons without health insurance, you know, at all, especially which may be very unsettling in the era of COVID-19. The problem that we have, and we got lots of problems, but the central problem with the way that health insurance is described to people is the fact that we've got this, you know, confusion or a mixing up of topics which are, you know, seem like they're the same thing, but they're actually very, very different topics. And this is why the perspective of this podcast and Maximize Your Medicare is different, notably different than, you know, the tweets you, you see, the Facebook pages and complaints that you hear, et cetera, et cetera, okay? 
meaning that I'm not interested, candidly, I'm not interested in what your political affiliation is. I could not care less, actually, if you're a socialist, if you're a baby killer, right? I don't think that people, you know, are that extreme, but I pull the rubber band and I stretch it to that extreme intentionally to illustrate, you know, I think that most people are reasonable, that they are trying to do the best that they can with them for themselves, for their families, in their own self-best interest, and that they're rational, right? I don't think that people are irrational. That all said, what ends up happening is those persons with a voice in the world, and let's just call it the policy of healthcare, you know, what ends up happening is they get a platform, they have a place, meaning, okay, they're in the media, they were a policy, they were an ex-policy pundit, etc., etc., And then they start, you know, using more expressive language to, you know, tilt their view or to, you know, expose their views on the world that, you know, should be. The issue that that raises, the challenge that brings to the consumer is the fact that this may, this distorts this distorts away from the math of money exercise. Again, people don't understand insurance. Insurance is a financial contract. It's not a policy contract. Policy affects the types of financial contracts that are available. But the consumer, this is a math of money exercise on an, a financial contract, period. Medicare just happens to be a special type of financial contract for those persons who are above the age of 65. Now, the problem here is that, you know, what you'll see is that somebody's calling somebody a baby killer or a socialist, you know, and then all of a sudden what happens is they may be making valid points and then they mix in something like baby killer or socialist in their language and all of a sudden, bang, now your ears turn off because, you know, it's not that extreme. You know it. You know it. I'm sure you've seen it. And then what ends up happening is your ears turn off. You click the other way and you stop, you know, listening to the rest of their point. And this is actually the problem, right? Which is that, you know, mixed in with the extremism are valid points. Now we're going to get to where we're going and, and here's where it is. In the link here in the link or down in the text below this podcast, you'll see a link to an article about health from Health Affairs. Now, Health Affairs is, you know, at the very top. It's a bit nerdy. It's certainly nerdy. Uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, this is for everyday readers by any means. But inside this article is probably... You know, the article that I could not possibly agree with more strongly. Let me restate that. I find the findings of this article entirely the case. And I would probably add a couple of sentences to it, a couple of recommendations to it. But to that degree, it clarifies something very important about short-term, non-compliant health insurance. Let me read you from, you know, this article. 
A June 2020 report by the Democratic staff of the House Energy and Commerce Committee described concern about short-term limited-duration health insurance plans. The report concludes that these plans represent, quote, a threat to the health and financial well-being of American families, end quote, and, quote, a bad deal for consumers, end quote. The staff recommend Congress subjects plans to all of the Affordable Care Act consumer protections. In essence, they call on Congress to reverse the policy established in 1996 of exempting short-term plans from federal regulation. The most important part of this article is it then turns and says, quote, we emphatically disagree. Short-term plans represent an important option for millions of Americans harmed by federal policy over the past decade that has resulted in reduced choice of health insurance plans and skyrocketing premiums and deductibles. Eliminating this option would force these enrolled in short-term plans to choose them between paying much higher premiums for ACA-compliant coverage and becoming uninsured. Although the committee's Democratic staff feel that the value of short-term plan is, quote, unclear, end quote, because they provide a false sense of security, millions of consumers covered by these plans would consider themselves worse off if Congress took this option away, end quote. I completely agree with this. And the simple reason, when you could add it to the rest of the explanation prior to me starting and quoting, is that these short-term plans are the rational choice for certain consumers, period. That's it. The reality of the fact is that all we needed to do here, all that needs to do here is to strengthen the regulation for consumer protections so they don't have a false sense of security and misrepresentation. So far, what we have on the planet, what we have in the news, what we have by the health care policy experts, quote unquote experts, is name calling, baby killer, false sense of security, okay? That, however, doesn't make it irrational. No, I, I completely disagree with it, and I completely agree then with this article. These short-term plans, they do have an important function if you understand what you are doing. Here's your simple example. Okay, you're 63 years old. Guess what? You don't need the prenatal care protections of the Affordable Care Act. You're male. You also don't require prenatal care in your financial contract. You know, guess what? You live in a town with 500 residents. You are required to buy a car with an in-dash GPS? What? That, that, you know, what ends up happening here is that people think and they clue because they're confused by insurance. Jay, you're a snake oil salesperson. Insurance companies are trying to rip you off, etc., etc. Yeah, but, you know, you need to get back to the point. And the point here is exactly what this article is saying which is that, you know, the features of short-term policies are exactly the reason that people want 
them because they don't want to pay the extra cost. They don't want to pay the extra cost of the in-dash GPS. Now you can understand. Now it becomes clear, right? I strip away the language from insurance and gold, silver, bronze, you know, qualified health plan, etc., etc. Marketplace, federal government, tax, IRMA, you know, all these other, you know, this jargon. You strip away the jargon and what do you get? You get lower cost for fewer benefits that you might not need anyway. Guess what? Your mail. You don't need those extra protections. Does that mean that that always means that you then choose a short-term health plan? No. No, it doesn't. Does that mean, however, on the opposite side of the spectrum, that the short-term health plan is junk? Which is the way that it gets described, right? It, it is being used, described as a junk plan. Yeah, you're Mr. Perfect. You're 60 years old. Guess what? It might be the entirely ration, rational choice to choose a short-term health plan and not one that costs $800 a month, which is going to be the cost for you know a very compliant plan of high-quality silver gold, certainly $800 a month at 60 years old. In most parts of the country and Florida, they would see $800 a month as a bargain. Now, does this mean that I'm out here on this pod saying that everyone should dump their qualified health plan and buy a short-term plan? No, no. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is that these plans are not regulated enough. And that is true. Okay, so the people, when they're calling them junk plans, they want you to be able to compare everything to everything and have everything on par with each other. But again, okay... You live in a town where there are 500 people. There are more, many more farm animals than people. Do you really need in-dash GPS? You don't. Sorry, you just don't, right? And in that same way, do you need all of these extra protections if you're, you know, you can imagine, 28-year-old male, Mr. Perfect, never been sick, <laughs> That, that person may want to have a lottery ticket just in case of the fact that they actually did get COVID-19, for example. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense that they would want to have pay for some amount of health insurance. Do they want to pay $400 a month? $400 a month, something like that, right? $5,000 a year when you're 28 years old male. There, there's, I can tell you I'm not 28 years old. There's no way that I'm paying $5,000 a year. I would rather accept the risk. I'd rather have a much cheaper math of money lottery ticket for the unknown situation. I'd accept the, re the rest of the risk. That was the totally rational math of money choice. Nevertheless, the, f the point is the Affordable Care Act, what it has done, it is basically said, okay, all qualified plans, you have to meet these criteria. Oh yeah, by the way, inside the criteria is the in-dash GPS. You're paying for it. Okay. How would I improve existing short-term plans? Very simply, number one, short-term plans shouldn't have retroactive underwriting. 
So the way that short-term plans work is that if you have a pre-existing condition and you didn't know about it, now you're 28-year-old Mr. Perfect and you actually had a DNA issue that was uncovered. And at 28 and a half, it it reveals itself. The way that short-term plans could work is there's something called retroactive underwriting, in which case they don't cover the problem, which is revealed at 28 and a half. That's got to stop. Number two, the fact of the matter is, is that the MLR rule should exist. Now, the Affordable Care Act, what happens is if the insurance carriers make over 15% profit margin, they've got to return the excess premium back to the policyholder. Under short-term plans, that doesn't exist. So what ends up happening is the insurance carriers are making a mint on this these plans. Why? Because Mr. Perfect is going to pay the $150 a month, not the $400 a month, for the fact that they're not unlikely to get sick, but he never goes to the doctor, 28-year-old Mr. Perfect, right? <laughs> I can tell you the number of times I went to the doctor at 28. My father's medical doctor was a medical doctor. No, ne- never went to the doctor. I could promise you, right? There's no chance. But so what ended up happening? Well, the insurance carrier took the $150, put it into their pocket because 28-year-old Mr. Perfect never went to the doctor, which he would never have reason to do. Okay, so the the point of the fact of, of this is the fact that short-term plans, if they were regulated and they had to pay back the MLR, you would have notably lower premiums, notably lower premiums. Third thing is the third change that I would make to short-term plans, right, is there... There shouldn't be pre-existing condition limitation. So this is going to be the most controversial of them, right? Which is, you know, the fact that I don't need an in-dash GPS may doesn't mean that I also don't want to have the side airbag. I didn't say that one, right? Meaning that there needs to be some protections to be able to allow the people to be able to buy even if they have a pre-existing condition. Will that push up the premiums of short-term plans? Yes, it will. There's no question about that. However, the fact of the matter is that is still better than the massive number of unemployed, or not unemployed, but uninsured. Okay, What I'm trying to tell you is the following. What I'm trying to share with you is the following, is that short-term plans may be the rational choice from a financial perspective, completely rational. The fact is, is that you're being given information to say they're all bad, they're all junk. Not really. Someone's trash is someone else's treasure. Now, That said, should there be other protections so you're not being unscrupulously picked off? Yes. Can that be changed? Can those changes be made? And can they be be made easily? Easily may be pushing it, but the fact is we would have wider choices. You know, I've heard other, um, the rationale for 
why you don't want to have this. And, and people would say, are, are saying, well, that creates a splintered health insurance market. You've got, you know, the high risk and the low risk. <laughs> Guess what? We've got that today. We've got that today. Because the choices that people are making are to say, look, I'm a family of four and health insurance is now $1,300, $1,400, $1,500 a month and I'm unemployed. Guess what? I'm not buying health insurance. That money is food. That's a far worse problem than me paying $300, $400, you know, the difference, $700 a month, $8,400 a year. That is real. That's groceries, like I said. That is, those are kids' educations over here, or I guess virtual learning, you know, subscriptions. But you can understand my point, which is that what has happened, and as correctly pointed out in this health affairs article, is the fact that people who def who say that these plans should be banned, they're junk, they're awful. Yeah, the choice if if you had your way would be you don't get any short term plan, and if you don't get a short term plan, then you have zero protection. That then is the problem. That's a problem that exists today, and that leaves a larger number of people uninsured. And if those persons get sick, guess who pays then? Medicaid or the insured. And now you have a systematic problem, which has just gotten worse. So the reality is, and this is the issue with the way that our society and the fact, you know, we don't have conversations, right? We don't have conversations because of Twitter and Facebook and social media and people's extension span and YouTube, etc. You hear one perspective and then that's it. And then, you know, click, it's done. Well, the issue here is that people get to spew out their opinion. People get to spew out their opinion without acknowledging the other perspective, which I have done here, which is intentional, right? Which is, you know, you're sitting here at the 30 minute mark or so. And I'm not saying that there's not another side to the coin. I'm not saying that. I am saying that these are the other sides of the coin. You acknowledge those other sides of the coin. But from that point, can the rational consumer make the choice which is best for their family? They can. They can. That's the message here today. That's the message of that crazy people write 200 pages on Medicare, which happens to be available on, on Amazon.com. Okay, enough of the side plug. Please go to read this article, healthaffairs.org. It's in the text. You can go through it you know, they go and detail, you know, what they would do. And I would agree entirely with this because that is still a better alternative to banning the stuff outright as been suggested. And again, this isn't a political thing, right? It happens to be the fact that the Democratic Party has created this text. I'm not sitting here telling you that the rest of their platform of the Democratic Party is wrong, all, you know, full stop. You can listen to the other party, to the other podcast. I have blistered the Republican Party for the fact that, you know, it has been unable to provide 
any reasonable alternative, cohesive alternative to the Affordable Care Act. So that's my point, which is, you know, health care, health insurance markets, very complicated stuff. 300, more than 300 million people in our country. The fact that we're going to be easily able to find a single solution, eh, I am not in that camp at all because the stakeholders are big, they're smart, and they've got a real reason for their perspective. Okay, that's it for today. Be sure, again, so many resources everywhere, you know, online, Facebook, there's a Facebook, there's a Maximize Your Medicare group, YouTube, Maximize Your Medicare YouTube channel, website, www.maximizeyourmedicare.com. I'm Jay, host of the Maximize Your Medicare podcast. Thanks for listening today. Speak with you next time.